All right. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Walter. I'm glad that you guys are joining us this morning. Uh, thank you for our worship team and everyone who is worshiping with us today. Uh, today, I'm going to continue our series in spiritual disciplines. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about worship. And as we begin today, uh, I want to tell you a brief story about, about my son, Perry. Uh, Perry is a wonderful young man. And well, let me just tell you, it's tough being a pastor's kid. Uh, anything that you do is going to be featured in a sermon. So uh, if you're out there listening, you guys need to know it's tough. Uh, at some point, we have to ask your permission. But uh, right now, Perry's young enough that I can do whatever I need to for stories. Uh, as we think about worship, uh, we as people are just naturally desiring to find things to worship. That we, John Calvin says that we are idol factories, that we're looking for things to worship. That's just a part of our nature. And Perry, I think, exemplifies this sometimes. A few years ago, Kelly and I were on the couch, uh, just hanging out, watching TV with him. And he gets up and starts moving around. And he's standing beside us on the couch. And he looks at us and said, um, I, I want some dessert. And this is the middle of the afternoon or something like that. And our response is, as any parent would do during that time, no. <laughs> you don't need dessert right now. And, uh, and we can see this is not a good statement for Perry because he looked at us and his response went from things are good to things are not fine right now. He actually then starts screaming at us going, I need sugar at the top of his lungs. And as any good parent, uh, we then laughed at him that uh, we couldn't, didn't know what else to do as he starts screaming that he needs sugar. Uh, and in that moment, we saw Perry begin to worship something. That uh, his entire mind and body was wrapped around this moment of, I need sugar. I need something sweet to eat. Now, maybe there are other problems there too, but in that moment, Perry was worshiping his heart's desires. That he wanted dessert, he wanted sugar. Now, I know that's kind of a funny story, but I think we see the same thing in our own lives, that we tend to worship things, these desires that we have. We tend to cry out for them. I want this. I need this. And ultimately, as we begin to think about this concept of worship, we see that ultimately that that's what we do. That as we worship, we are crying out, this is something that I desire. This is something that I love. This is something I crave. And so as we think about worship, we want to talk about what true worship is. Today, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see what true worship actually is. If you would, uh, this is in the time of our service where we typically uh, stand and read our text. So uh, if you're at home and would like to stand, you're welcome to. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. If you would, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are grateful for today and this opportunity we have to study the Word of God. 
Lord, I pray as we begin to think about what is worship, what is true worship, that we could look at these verses and we could understand what it is you're doing in our lives. That we could see the things that we're worshiping, see the things that we're crying out for, see the very desires of our heart be laid bare today. Father, I pray for every man, woman, and child who is listening to this sermon today. May our hearts be open and receptive to the Word of God. May we listen clearly for the truths that you would have for us. And most importantly, Father, may we respond to you, the truth of the gospel, that you came to seek and save those who were far from you so that we might be a part of the family of God. Lord, thank you for the things you're doing in our lives. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, uh, as we continue in our study here, the first point that I want us to begin with is that true worship begins with an inward faith. Look with me at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You see, Paul is addressing the inner concerns of a believer's life. These things begin with who we are as a person. You've seen in our study guides as we're talking through SOAP that we're looking at this reality that the things we do flow from who we are. And so Paul has just finished explaining to the church in Colossae how to live the things that they're to do, right? The things they should stay away from. But now he's addressing who they are. He said, you're going to stay away from these things because of who you are. You're going to do these things because of who you are. And in verse 12, he begins with the very core part of what we want to look at, this idea of God's chosen ones. You see, Paul is beginning with this reality that our identity is to be rooted in Christ. To live and to worship as Christ intended, it requires you to be a follower of Christ. That if you're listening today, if there's nothing else you catch, I need you to hear this. The only way to live as Christ has intended is by following Him. By trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior, by turning away from your sin and shame towards Jesus. I'll say this as clearly as I can. You and I are sinful people who are in need of a perfect Savior. You see, left to our own devices, we would willingly choose sin. Left to our own devices, we would choose the things that are not of Christ. As a story I shared about Perry earlier would exemplify, Perry would know and he would tell you, why do I need dessert in the middle of the afternoon? Why do I need to eat sugar right now? Why am I craving this? And it led to him screaming that I need sugar. Yet, by God's grace, those of us who have been brought into the family of God, those who call God Father, we've been made clean. That we no longer have to crave this sin, this sugar that we're looking for. You see, it is through the gospel message that we find this righteousness, this cleanliness. You see, as we study the scriptures, we see that the gospel message is rooted in this story. That it begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. He creates all these wonderful, incredible creatures and things. And then he creates man, Adam and Eve. And together, as they've been created, this is living in perfect harmony with God. Things are right. Things are the way they're supposed to be. Yet, in the midst of that, sin enters. Satan comes into the garden and he ruins things through leading Adam and Eve into sin and temptation. Now, they are willing participants in this. They willingly go forth on this path, knowing the things that God has called them to stay away from. And in the midst of that, 
we have been left with the remnants of a broken relationship with God. That you and I now are out of sorts with God. That because of their sin and because of our sin that we've committed, we don't have the relationship we were intended to have with Him. And it is by Jesus coming into this world, living a perfect life that you and I could not, that He came in as a sinless man, fully man and fully God, walked this earth and died the death that you and I deserve. It is by that sacrifice we now are able to have life. It is by that sacrifice, if we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as we commit to follow Him the rest of our days, it is in that moment that we find life. And it is by that faith, the one that we have faith in, that we are able to enter into a relationship with God. You see, it is by trusting in the gospel and the gospel alone that we can live out Paul's words. If you've heard nothing else today, you must hear that. The things we're talking about in terms of how to truly worship God, the things that we're to do as followers of God, that it means nothing if you are not a believer. You cannot do these things. You cannot offer worship to God if indeed you're not found in Christ. So if you're listening today and you have doubts, you have concerns, I implore you, do not finish this Sunday morning without resolving this. Do not finish today without connecting with us and saying, I am in need of redemption. You're watching this on Facebook, YouTube, maybe on our website. Reach out to us, homesavenue.com forward slash contact. We are here as a resource for you. Comment on the Facebook live chat. We want to know what God is doing in your life. And if you are in need of prayer, support, counsel, we are here. And our prayer is that you would find the God of the universe who has come to seek and save the lost. That is where perhaps you are and where I was. You see, God, by his grace and mercy, has called us into the family. And then he set us apart from the world. Look with me at verse 12 as we continue. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You see, as Paul is beginning here, he starts with this concept of holy and beloved. That we're to be set apart from the world. This idea of holy means you are different than the world. It brings to mind this idea of a wedding. If you've been to a wedding, you know what they're for, that uh, you see the bride and the groom gather together and take these vows to spend the rest of their lives together before God and everyone else. And if we went to a wedding and we saw this ceremony go forth, and at the end when they're asked, do you take your beloved so-and-so, the groom were to look at the pastor and go, no, and run off with the maid of honor. That's not how a wedding's supposed to work, Right? That's not what we're seeing here. What we see is that this, this holiness that God has brought us in, this chosen ones that we are, we've been set apart, we've been sealed together. We belong to Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 say it this way, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been set apart as chosen ones, as people who are a part of the family of God. That is not meant to be a temporary thing. That is not meant to be a, a we follow him for a time and then leave. No, that is an eternal uniting with Christ. 
Paul continues on with this idea of compassionate hearts, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. How different is this than the world? That sounds so fundamentally different than the things we see on TV. I mean, if you watch the news, you see how people interact, whether it's think of politics or other viewpoints. You see people connecting and dialoguing, and well, it's not much of a dialogue, it's an argument. There's very little patience being displayed. There's not much meekness or kindness or humility that is on display. We live in a world that thinks only of itself. Yet the example that Paul provides here is one of selflessness and sacrifice. It's one that emphasizes long-suffering and patience with those who are around us who are difficult or disruptive. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't address the behaviors or issues of those around the church, right? He's not condemning those who are lost in sin, but rather he is saying those who are found in Christ, we're to be known more by our character than by what we disagree with. I want to say that again because I want you to hear this. That for those who are found in Christ, we're to be known more by our character than by what we disagree with. It's certainly appropriate for us to differ, disagree with lifestyle choices, with sin that people are in. But it's also important for us to know that the world looks upon us and they must know the things we stand for. That is for forgiveness of these sins should they repent. That is for the love of Christ that will continue from this life into eternity. That those are the things that people should know us for. Now Paul continues in verse 13. He says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, in these verses, Paul makes it quite clear that we're to strive to live in harmony with those around us, both inside the church and outside the church. Paul's really addressing those of us who would be offended or put off by the behavior of others, right? That when people do things that are contrary to what we think or how we feel, we then get offended. That's perfectly natural. That's normal. Yet, Paul's saying that we should be able to deal with this. Now, he's not telling us to ignore behaviors that would have real consequences against others or ourselves. That certainly there are behaviors you must say, hey, this needs to stop. Yet, what he's asking is, can you put on your big boy pants and get over it? Plain and simple, he's pointing us to the fact that God has done the same of forgiving us and will continue to do the same of forgiving us of our sins. And in that, we are also called to forgive others of their sins against us. Matthew 6.14 says it, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is being said here is not that God is going to withhold forgiveness from us, but the, the statement is being highlighted. It's an overemphasis, if you will, an exaggeration. What both Matthew and Paul are pointing to right here is the reality is that if God has been so kind enough to show us forgiveness, how dare we withhold that forgiveness from others? If the God of the universe, who is holy and righteous and pure, could look upon us as people who have sinned and fallen short of the standard he set and says, I will forgive you, who are we to not forgive others? 
as these verses will tell us, the root of these actions, the root of our behavior is love. Love for God and love for others. This is why true worship begins with an inward faith. Without the love of God being present in our lives, we cannot love others in a way that is even similar to God's love. Love is the guide of our heart, soul, and mind. And that is why as we think about this inward faith, as we think about true worship being this, beginning with this inward faith, that's why I've emphasized that you must be found in Christ to truly begin to worship Him. That the things you do, the things you say, carry no weight if there's not a personal, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And it begins with that love and tenderness, not only from Christ, but the ones that you're showing towards Him, the ones that you're giving towards Him. That as we look at this text, the thing that we must begin with is that you must wrestle with your relationship with Christ. Now, as we think about how we put this all together, Paul continues on in a few verses, and he begins to shift his tone here. This leads us to our second point. True worship requires an outward expression of our inward faith. I'll say it again. True worship requires an outward expression of our inward faith. You've probably already caught on to this, but our faith must be a living, active faith. This idea of, of worship being a part of a part of worship being an outward expression of our inward faith, they're so intertwined that we, we've already been talking about this. We can't get away from it. Just as James chapter 2, uh, verse 26 says, and really you can look at the whole chapter, and this is what James is talking about here. It says, Faith apart from works is dead. Faith apart from works is dead. If you say you're a Christian, yet it's not demonstrating your words and actions, you're probably not a Christian. I know that I'm stepping on some toes there. I know that perhaps you hear that and you think, how dare you judge me? Well, I don't, but the Word of God does. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 27.19 says, as a water's face reflects a man's face, so the heart of man reflects the man. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, the Word of God states that if we follow Christ, if we follow Him, our actions and our words will show that. Because our actions and our words display what our heart actually worships. And so if indeed the things we are doing do not display the love and kindness of Christ, perhaps it is true that the love and kindness of Christ has not been found in our heart. You see, our God demands that if we follow Him, we carry this message of forgiveness to the ends of the earth. Yet what message of forgiveness can you offer if you've not been forgiven yourself? You see, God has saved us so that every man, woman, and child we encounter will have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet how can they have opportunity to respond if you have not trusted in Christ? You see, this is why Paul has transitioned from this inward faith to the outward expression of it. Look with me at verse 15. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul's saying here that we're to have harmony with one another in the body of Christ. That he believes rightly that the love of Christ will bind us together as a body. I want you to think about this concept with me. What does the world think when they see a church or the people of God in conflict? I'm not sure perhaps the things that are said in every situation, but what I do know is that nothing good is going to be said there. You see, Jesus tells us in John uh, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, the world will know we're Jesus' disciples by how we love one another. The world will see how we love one another and will make an assumption of who we are. You see, this love is to bind us together as one body with Christ as the head on mission for Him so the world can hear the grace and peace of Jesus Christ through the gospel message. And when the world sees conflict and selfishness entering into the church, they look at this and wonder, is this even worth believing? Are these people really who they say they are? If God is so mighty and so loving, why are they not loving and kind? You see, it is important for us to recognize that we are to bear with one another and to love each other. Now Paul continues in verse 16. Read with me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. You see, as Paul has just told us that we're to love one another, to bear with one another, to, to lo love one another, show the love of Christ to one another, he also tells us this is how we're going to do it. It's going to begin with the word of Christ being implanted inside of you. That he's also addressing this reality of how we're to respond in both public and private worship. I know we need to define some terms there. As we're using this idea of public, we're talking our gathered worship service. So when you're here online with us, perhaps, when you're here on a Sunday morning, when we begin having services again here, uh, private would be when you're, uh, well, alone in your own home. Uh, this may be your personal devotion time. This may be you watching a sermon or, or doing discipleship with your family, whatever it may be. Just know public is a more public expression. Private is going to be more well, private. The Word of God must be central to our public and private worship. In fact, it must be central to our very lives. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That if you want to know if you're living in a way that brings honor and glory to God, read the Scriptures and then use that as a mirror for your heart. Look upon this and go, do the things of my heart line up and run parallel with the things of the Scriptures? If they're running the same trajectory, then I'm doing pretty okay. 
if the scriptures are running their path and they are right and true and infallible and inerrant, we know those things, we are convicted of those things. And I'm going this way. One of those got to change. And I think we know which one the answer is. You see, we believe this in such confidence here at Holmes Avenue. I will tell you this, uh, as long as Brian and I draw breath, we will proclaim the Word of God from this pulpit every Sunday. You can rest assured that in our public times of worship, you will have the Word of God study and exposited before you. That we will look and read through the Scriptures and we will go through what God is telling us here from these verses. That we will do that until our dying breath. I assure you of that. Yet we're not there with you in private. And my hope and my prayer is that you would commit to that same guidance in your private times of worship. That they will begin with this idea of studying Scripture and holding tight to the Word of God. In private, our prayer is that you would study the Scripture through methods like soap that we've been providing for you in the study guide. Our hope and prayer is that you are looking at the Word of God on a daily basis. That's why we give you this Bible reading plan. That's why we give you these devotions we are wanting to engage in dialogue with the Word of God. Because despite all the things we do in terms of preaching and teaching, let me assure you, there is nothing that is going to set the life, your life in a proper trajectory quicker than or better than studying the Word of God consistently day in and day out. Brian and I can preach until we are blue in the face, and some days I know we do, we are long-winded. But if you are studying the Word of God, if you are diving into it day after day, the things that we do on a Sunday in terms of preaching and teaching, while important, will just be a supplement to you. The main course is what you're getting day in and day out. Now, in that same way, we also see Paul addressing this idea of singing. We're to sing and celebrate the grace of God with songs. We sing because of the good news of the gospel. You see, bad people, you and I, have been made new by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. We were on death row, destined for hell by our own actions. Yet Christ stepped in and not only took our punishment, but provided us a full pardon. We sing because something amazing happened. That just in the same way as we celebrate a touchdown or a home run or whatever else you think is incredible to watch, we sing because something amazing has happened. Now, we don't just sing any song, but rather we sing songs that are focused on celebrating Christ and what He has done. We're never going to sing something like Highway to Hell in here on Sunday morning, but we are going to sing something like Amazing Grace. You see, we're going to sing the things that celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're going to sing songs that bring honor and glory to His name. And yet, even in private, you can also sing. Many of you have sung this morning with your families in this different situation of online services in our homes. Perhaps you sing with your family and sing these songs during family devotions. Maybe you just sing in the car, right? Like my little girl Molly, she can sing part of Waymaker in our car. That's how often we listen to it. I know we've got a problem. It's our most played song on Spotify and YouTube. But our little girl will sit in the back and she'll sing it. We are celebrating the finished works of Christ, what He has done for us. And we do so through studying the Word and proclaiming the Word 
but also by singing and celebrating what he has done. Now, as Paul has been teaching us and talking through how we're to live and worship, he closes this section of Scripture, verse 17. Read with me. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, Paul closes a section of Scripture with a call to faithfulness. He tells us that all we do should be done in the name of Jesus. Our words and deeds are associated with Jesus when we publicly proclaim His name. That yes, this may bring persecution and sorrow, but it also brings the opportunity to glorify the name of Christ. This is one of the reasons we make such a big deal out of baptisms, right? That baptisms are, are yes, an inward, an outward expression of an inward faith, but they're publicly identifying yourself with Christ. It is you going under that water to simulate, the, to be in united with Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is you publicly saying, I'm on God's team. I've put the jersey on. Go God. You see, it's a great privilege to bear the name of Christ, but it's also a tremendous responsibility. And to be quite frank, one of the things that it will do for us is that it serves as a check on our sinful hearts. That you and I, if we're following Christ and living in the way that He has intended, it will help us check our hearts and our motives. Can I really do this if I'm representing the Lord Jesus? Should I say this if I'm a follower of God? That, that, that should serve as, a, as an emergency break to how we think and the things that we do. But we can pull that break and go, wait, is this going to bring honor and glory to God's name? It's also an encouragement for us to persevere. That in being everything we do, being found under a banner, the name of Christ, that is telling us that everything we do in this life has meaning and value. Because everything we do is supposed to bring honor and glory to God's name. That, that's an incredible encouragement because let me tell you something. As you're listening, I don't know what your life looks like, right? Maybe you've got a 9-to-5 job. Maybe you work in some type of blue-collar job. Maybe you work in an office. Maybe you're working from home right now. Maybe you're retired. I don't know what it is. But every single moment of your life has meaning and value if it is done in the name of Christ. This is really a part of where uh, John Piper's famous book, Don't Waste Your Life, came from. It, it was built out of a passing comment he made at an event called Passion. And he said, I don't want to spend my retirement collecting seashells by the seashore. If I'm going to spend my retirement in a worthy manner, I want to do something that brings honor and glory to God's name. This is a man who was in his 70s, uh, younger than when he said this, but the same message applies. I don't want to live my life and waste it. That means I don't want to live my life in such a way that God doesn't get every ounce, every measure of glory. And for you and I, that is the proper perspective and encouragement we need on a day-to-day -day basis. That you and I need to know that every single moment of our lives matters if it is done in the name of Christ. That if your job requires you to punch buttons every couple of minutes, then you punch buttons for the glory of God. 
It requires you to do those menial, boring tasks. You do it to the glory of God because it has value and meaning. Paul closes with this phrase of giving thanks. He says, because the center of Christian living is grateful worship, because of the things that God has done, every single thing on this earth that Christians can do is going to be done in the name of Jesus. And we should do these things with gratitude to our Father who is in heaven. Because of this, we get to be a part of the story of God. That we are His children, yes, but we get to play a part in Him seeing the world saturated with the gospel message. That even in the small things we do, whether it's our day-to-day 9-to-5 job or anything else we may do out there, it has value and meaning because it is a part of God's story. It is a part of His redemptive promises. He's working in this world so that He may one day return. You see, yes, the Scriptures tell us that one day Christ is going to return. Not as a meek and mild Savior, but as a warrior come to end sin and death. That Revelation tells us He comes in on a white horse. His robe is then dipped in blood. He's got a tattoo on His thigh, a sword in His mouth. He has come to wage war. And every moment between now and then is full of redemptive purpose. Because every moment between now and then is intended for us as humanity on this earth to bring honor and glory to God. That when I think about my life and the things that I've done, as when I think about the things that I could be doing, as I think about the things like job opportunities and promotions and other things that I've turned down so that I'm able to do this with you on a Sunday morning to proclaim and study the Word of God with you. I'm grateful. There is no, no concern over what have I missed out on. There is no fear of will I be able to take care of my family because I know that I'm living my part in God's story. That This is a part of what He's called me to do. Yes, the normal 9 to 5 that I work is a part of that as well. But these are the moments that God has put together for me to walk in this time to bring honor and glory to Him. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're found in Christ, you are living out that same story. You have a part to play in God's redemptive purpose in this world. Maybe you're listening and you're saying, I've been listening, I've heard what you said about my relationship, and I know that I'm not a believer. Maybe I've got doubts and concerns. Maybe I'm just not sure. If you're listening, I want to encourage you, the very fact that you're asking that question is a good sign. That means that if you're concerned about your spiritual state, that means God is already working in your life. That God is already changing you so that you perhaps will respond to Him. And I will have you know that our prayer for each and every service Every word we say, every song we sing, every scripture we read, is that that would be perhaps the moment that God changes your heart so that you would trust in Him, repent of your sin, and turn away. And so our hope and prayer is that perhaps today is the day that you would trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps today is the day that you would say, I'm going to follow God, and I will follow Him anywhere. I would encourage you that There are a million reasons to trust Him. There are a million reasons to trust and follow God. But beyond the the things of forgiveness of sin and 
eternity with him, I found that there is an assurance, a confidence that we get to have. That even in the midst of times of uncertainty and fear and, and, and the situations like we're in right now, there is a confidence that he's not abandoned us yet. He never will. That though I don't know what tomorrow holds, though I don't know what my future may consist of, I know the one who holds it. And he has promised that neither heights nor depths nor anything else will separate me from the love of Christ. And so what I would put before you today is that if you want that assurance, that confidence in our Lord Jesus, all you have to do is cry out to him. Cry out to him and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I want to spend eternity with you. And simply pray. Ask him for forgiveness. Contact us on the chat. Send us a message. We'll respond. I promise you, we are waiting now to see what God would do in your life. And I hope you know that our prayer is that you would bring honor and glory to him first and foremost, by trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior. So here in the next few minutes, our band's going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a time of prayer. You'll see a logo come up on the screen and we'll have a few moments of silent prayer for you to interact with God, for you to go to the Lord with your hopes and fears, your doubts and your concerns, and to seek Him in His face. I'll give us a few moments to pray that prayer. And then I'll finish us. Once I'm done, our band will lead us in a time of worship and we'll celebrate what God is doing. My hope and my prayer is that you will continue to see what he's doing in your life. You will trust in him, perhaps, as your Lord and Savior. With that in mind, would you bow your heads with me and go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for the things that you have done in our lives. We're grateful for these things, whether they're good, bad, or perhaps indifferent. We're grateful for them because they have brought us to this moment to where we get to encounter you. And Lord, I pray that in this moment that we would leave this encounter a changed people. That we would come to face with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in looking upon the word of God, upon looking upon this gospel message, that our hearts and minds would be changed. That we would repent of our sin and turn to you, Lord. That that is my prayer for every man, woman, and child listening, that our hearts will be found focused upon you. Whether this is the first time and someone has just become a believer, or maybe it's for the hundredth time and they've been a believer for years. Whatever it may be, I pray that we would trust in you and focus and worship you in all your glory and majesty. Father, I pray that as we continue to celebrate your name in this time of worship, 
that we would sing those words of this song, Yes, I Will, and sing them with confidence and assurance that though we are in the struggle, though we are in the difficult moment, you have not abandoned us. That confidence I spoke of is summed up through the words of this song. And I pray that for those who are singing, everyone who is singing this song with us, that they would find their joy, their peace, their happiness in the things of Christ. So Father, be with us in this time. Allow our hearts and minds to be open and receptive to the truth of the gospel. We pray that you would receive all the honor and glory. We pray these things in the finished work of Christ. Amen. Would you guys join us in a time of worship?